One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Well done to you. You have survived the first interlull of the new season. Plenty more to come, but we've got through this one. We're out the far side. Real football begins again this weekend when we travel to Everton, a ground which has been a little bit difficult for us in recent years. But hopefully we can uh, set that record straight because it needs to be straightened out good and proper i did absolutely 100 percent forget to give you the winners of the competition we did a couple of weeks ago with charles watts for his Mikel arteta book so a little bit later on in the show i will give you the winners of that competition i apologize for forgetting but that's what happens as you get a bit older you get a bit more forgetful and sure yeah that's what post-its were invented for But, you know, I forget to look at the post-it. I need a post-it to tell me to look at the post-it. What do you mean? You could just put a reminder on your phone. Yes. I forgot to do that as well. But as I said, I will give you the winners of Charles's book uh, a little bit later on in the show. As it has been an interlull and there's been very little for you to listen to, apart from a new episode of Waffle over on Patreon, myself and James, if you want to head on over there and get that into your ears. I'm just going to get this podcast out there as quickly as possible today, Thursday. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to it, here it is. And I'm just going to get straight on with the show. So with me to talk about stuff and things is Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I want to start maybe an unconventional place, and that's Harry Maguire, because I'm that is unconventional. (laughs) It is for an Arsenal podcast, I know, but I'm I'm slightly fascinated by this whole situation and and what's gone on and the reaction to it and and all the rest. So you know, when Arsenal played Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, he came on, and Arsenal fans were cheering and singing his name, apparently. And that carried on into international duty when he came on against Scotland and they were cheering him. He scores an own goal. Gareth Southgate comes out afterwards and said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Da 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 da. Just to make sure that this doesn't go any further, Harry Maguire's mum has come out and <laughs> made a statement, which, you know, he didn't need that oil poured on the fire, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I'm just sort of curious in in the light of you know what could have happened to him this summer because it's clear and we've seen it at Arsenal a player is on the outs right they're there but the manager doesn't really have any faith in them he doesn't pick them he's been dropped he was the club captain he had the captaincy taken away all the rest of it you know he had the opportunity to go and play for West Ham West Ham made a fairly big offer, it seems, but he couldn't come to a financial arrangement with Manchester United, which was suitable for him to leave. And I just wonder, you know, he's, you know, talking about, I just want to play football, all the rest of it. The idea, and I think we've got used to it because we've had situations like this at Arsenal where, well, a player's got a contract. And he's perfectly entitled to, you know, pick up the wages of his contract. But if, you know, if you're in a position like Harry Maguire, it's hard to generate too much sympathy or garner too much uh, sympathy, I should say, if you had the opportunity to sign for another Premier League club, maybe on slightly lower wages, maybe considerably lower wages, but still a very, very, very good wage, a long-term contract probably, and all of this is going on around you and and you, you know, you're in a, a situation where publicly now, and it might've sort of started on the internet, but publicly it's now happening to you in stadiums. It, it's so, it's so weird, I think, to see this play out. Um, so in the context of, you know, what's happening to Maguire, but also the way that, that we view as fans and obviously players view contracts as this sort of this thing, okay, you've given me five years, regardless of what happens, you're going to have to pay me for five years or at least make it more, worth my while to go. I mean, are players not um, 
do they not have a bit more responsibility to their own careers in some cases? Yeah, definitely. And and look, we we don't know the ins and outs of the kind of you know, it, it was some kind of severance package, wasn't it, with United or something like that. So clearly there was like a, a wage dip or whatever. And, and clearly, like, he has the right to look after his financials. Of course he does. Sure. He has the right to turn that move down and everything else. But at the same time, uh, like, I do think, like, in a sober, serious way, that it when when something becomes a thing on the internet it it really really snowballs and it probably goes over the top and it's it's certainly gone over the top um on him but at the same time you're right he he had the opportunity to do like quite a good move and if you're it, it's kind of weird isn't it because i wonder what kind of conversation he had with gareth southgate because gareth southgate's position seems to be this is the best defender that has ever walked the face of the earth <laughs> And he will never, ever, ever be dropped no matter what. So if you're the player, because there's a Euros coming up next summer, and ordinarily you'd think my stock's fallen Mm. quite a lot. There's a tournament coming up I'd really like to play in. I'd really like, like I'm in the England team. I'm probably lucky. I'm definitely lucky to still be there, but I'm there. And I really, really, I really, really want that to still be the case next summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had a conversation with Gareth Southgate and Gareth Southgate, was just like of course you're like do what you want of course you'll be in the team nobody's better than you harry that that seems to be the position so if he's had assurances over his international place like Mm. maybe but but you're right like because also playing for a club like manchester united the spotlight is on you in a very very serious way where he could probably go to west ham i'm not saying it'd be completely ignored but if he made a bit of a mistake that led to a goal or not even a mistake, like if he just didn't defend a goal brilliantly, it probably wouldn't be magnified that much in the way that it is at Manchester United. So they, look, essentially he had to make way up. Do I prolong my misery here, but look after my financials or do I move on to another club, still get pretty well paid? Um, and start every week and he's he's chosen the former and yeah as much as like I don't think that means that people can abuse him and blah 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 like you kind of have to sit with the consequences of that because he made that as an active choice it, yeah I mean on a human level right if you're on a football pitch and people are the opposition fans are cheering you you know that that would I'm sure lead to some introspection as to like how did I get here how did I get from you know, a guy who, uh, you know, was very good for England. It's fair to say it hasn't gone well for him at Manchester United, but, you know, was good for England. And now it's now it's at this point. And, and it's one of those things that the longer it goes on, the longer it is to kind of get away from it. You know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to shake off that reputation, if you like. You know, um, you know, once, for example, the tide had turned with someone like Mustafi, nothing you can do will change people's minds about that. And, I, you know, I don't know what Manchester United fans think of of Harry Maguire, but I'm pretty sure they would have been happy for him to go and, you know, play for, for West Ham as well. And I think if you, if you do take that decision, if you do sort of clean the slate a little bit, there's probably a bit more understanding, if you like. Yeah, and especially when, for him, like, the club have lost faith as well and yeah. have been pretty open about the fact they've lost faith because, you know, talking about it's hard to row back, obviously Granite Xhaka did row back, but that was a fan player relationship. The club, the coaches always wanted Granite Xhaka and always mm. saw him as part of the team. That was a fan player thing. This is, I mean, I, I, I don't know that Man United fans are, are necessarily treating him badly, but this is in general, this is like a general public and your manager and your club don't want you, and you've had the captaincy taken off you, which is which is a completely logical decision. Mm. Like if you're not playing and you're not in the manager's plans, of course you're not going to be be the captain. So like, look, he had full agency over his decision this summer. He chose this. He might still be perfectly happy with that. He might still think, well, look, I did what I needed to do and this is just like the consequence of doing that. But I think what it really shows as well is like, you know, we, we've had a lot of uh, Arsenal introspection about how, about selling players Mm. um, recently. And like Harry Maguire still starts for England 
and that deal was still too difficult for any any team to do. West Ham are the only ones that we know were interested, and that's West Ham who had like over a hundred million pounds from us burning mm. a hole in their pocket, and they couldn't get that deal done. So it does kind of show you that it, it's not just like the Cedrics and the Pepe's and whatnot that are difficult to shift. Like United have got Maguire and McTominay who are not Manchester United or the level Manchester United aspire to be, yeah, players, but yeah. they're not they're not terrible players. Like five years ago, I think they'd have easily moved those players on. I think a mid-table Premier League team would have been like, yes, give them to us, we'll take them. But well, West those Ham. aren't Yeah, yeah, exactly. But those aren't the buying habits of, of those clubs anymore. And, you know, look, West Ham have got David Moyes who's very much, shall we say, of that era. David Moyes, who at Everton like bought Phil Neville and players like that, for who was happy to kind of wait for the, tr- the tree to shake at bigger clubs and take those players on. Like, how many former United players did he sign? Mm. So, like, David Moyes and West Ham are probably, in some respect, like the most old-fashioned, for want of a better word, club. And they were the only ones that wanted him and they still couldn't get that deal done. I think that tells you a lot about the market and and actually how difficult it is now for, you know, the big six, as it were, to to unload players. Like Hugo Lloris, I believe he didn't make it into Tottenham's 25-man squad. Um, Maybe I'm wrong on that, but, like, he's still there and he's not in matchday squads. Like, that kind of shows you what's going on yeah i'm just looking at their uh the spurs squad which you know i don't really care to do but i just wanted to (laughs) i just wanted to back that up uh yeah he does not appear to be in there uh, at all i mean the thing about the the mcguire and west ham thing is like that's a perfect manager for him and the perfect manager for mctominay as you say you know steeped in that kind of old school tradition and I'm you know I think the other thing that occurs to me you know the longer things go on at Manchester United is that I'm not sure man management is is high on Eric Ten Hag's uh, list of greatest qualities you know no I think we've seen some issues there with some players and um, yeah I think you know a lot of that stems maybe from how things are done not not the fact that they are done but just how they are done and talking about buying habits of Premier League clubs. I mean, do you think other clubs are looking at Brighton and Brentford and clubs like that and thinking, you know, we actually have to to change our ways here? You can go the scattergun approach like Nottingham Forest and just buy everybody, Nottingham Forest and and Chelsea and, and just buy everybody. But even... Even within the sort of uh, the madness that is what's going on at Chelsea, there's like one vague slice of common sense in that the players they're buying, like that is strictly no over 25s policy this summer. You know, you could get a great player who's 26, but no, you know, it's, Mm. you know, perhaps a little too intransigent. But, but finding players who don't cost a bomb from other Premier League clubs may well be part of why it is going to be increasingly difficult for clubs to sell within the Premier League, even when you take into account, you know, these clubs have the money, like you would say that the money within uh, the Premier League, uh, someone have to sit down and do this, but but maybe did more money come from the Saudi Arabian League than within the Premier League this summer in terms of buying players? Like that market where you go, well, you're, you're in a league where only you can afford to buy players from each other. It hasn't really played out quite as much as it, let's say, used to in Italy, where in Serie A, when that was the, the, the most expensive league in the world, the, the richest league in the world, you would routinely see all these players going between the clubs for huge fees. Uh, you know, Lentini breaking the transfer record back in the day. But, you know, the, this was what happened. And it was always so weird to look at, wasn't it? It was like Inter are selling a, a player to AC Milan and Juventus are buying players from from Roma and all of, you know, all of this sort of stuff. But it was only a consequence of, of the fact that nobody else outside of Italy could really afford to buy those players at that point. Yeah, like Crespo and Vieri, who seem to play for every single club <laughs> in Serie A. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, like some of the, the intra-Premier League sales have been from Chelsea. Um, and it's mm. it's kind of weird how 
our focus, like everyone's focus has gone so much to selling that now Chelsea are fated for selling two guys who used to start for them all the time in Mason Mount and Kai Havertz to Premier League rivals. And things have switched so much now that everyone's like congratulating them for that because they got good prices mm. for both of those players, albeit they still sold Havertz for less than they bought him for to us. So they still lost money on that. Um, but like it, it's become like we've gone very quickly from how can you sell to a rival to our oh, congratulations to to selling to Manchester United and Arsenal and mm. like th- there's a little bit of logic in there but we we've gone so kind of so hyper focused on selling like because of FFP and the impact of it um, but I also think I, I think the age thing is really pertinent and I think that's where someone like Rob Holding or Kieran Tierney probably find it found it hard to find buyers this summer because you buy like Rob Holdings 27 like that's that's very far from um you know the glue factory as it were um however you sign him on a four year contract you're not selling him to anyone mm. um and he's already on arsenal salary so like that has to work that has to produce you very very good value if you're going to put loads of money down and the arsenal salary and i i suspect strongly suspect i mean palace a bit broke this summer believe palace didn't spend any money till deadline day um so like that that's probably why they got him for such a knockdown price because they had to meet the salary and it's kind of the same with tierney like tierney's 26 which again very far from the glue factory certainly a lot younger than i am but (laughs) (laughs) but if you buy kieran tierney on a four-year contract you don't sell him for money and he's already on pretty much the ceiling of of what you can give him so what what are you going to get for these players like even if kieran tierney or rob holding comes to your club and a really really world class you're still looking at having them for their four-year contract Mm. and like no one's going to take them off your hands so the best case scenario is that they're brilliant for four years and they go on a free that, like that's the best case scenario and that might happen but you can understand why a lot of these clubs are looking younger for that sell-on value. And I look at someone like Aston Villa, for example, buying, uh, was it Moussa Diaby? Mm. Um, like that's where they're spending money because they know full well if he had, like the way the market is now, if he has one good season for Aston Villa, he's a hundred million pounds next summer and probably Chelsea pay that. Um, and because that's all it takes is like one good season, uh, particularly for an attacker. If you're under 20 Four twenty-five, and you have a good season. You're you're like sixty, seventy, even a hundred million. Look at how how much like Lavia went to Chelsea for. Mm. Like he had one season for the team that finished bottom of the Premier League, and that's a sixty million pound footballer. That's so yeah. that that that's why teams do it because even Southampton, who got relegated, and like if Southampton had bought Rob Holding and Kieran Tierney last summer, they probably would have stayed up. Um, albeit we weren't selling those players last summer, and that's that's where Arsenal are culpable. They should have sold those players sooner. But like at the end of the day, the money Southampton have made on that player alone probably gets them straight back up anyway. So, like you can understand why so many clubs have this kind of under twenty fives policy. Mm, Belgian midfielder having a great season for the team that finishes bottom of the table, then goes for huge money. Albert Sambi Lakonga, we're going to cash in like a bastard next summer. Um, yeah, maybe so. We'll have, we'll have to see how that plays out. It's been a, a fairly quiet week uh, in terms of, of Arsenal news because it's been the interlull, of course. Martin Odegaard scored a goal. Kai Havertz got an assist. Some interesting performances um, over the over the period of the... Uh, the two weeks. We do have some questions from our, our Discord uh, members. So here's one that's uh, on this, the Pearman14. He says, do you think form over the international break influences Mikel Arteta's mind at all? Or do you think he would solely focus on their Arsenal form? So someone like Trossard, you know, has gone mm-hmm. away, scored an absolutely brilliant goal for Belgium. Does that put him in mind for the manager? Or does the manager have his own ideas of what he wants to do for certain games and certain scenarios? Any Anyway, you know, how how hard do you have to knock on Mikel Arteta's door to get him to change an idea that he might already have? Yeah, I mean, it, 
it can't hurt at the same time he might look at players who didn't play many minutes while they're away or um, you know, just had a discussion earlier about whether you start Eddie Nketiah or Gabriel Jesus at Everton on Saturday. And you might take the view, well, Gabriel Jesus went away with Brazil, did a bit of travelling around South America. Mm-hmm. Eddie went with England, trained with England, hopefully good high-level training, but didn't get on the pitch. Maybe has something to prove, but also didn't play many minutes, didn't really travel very far. Like, do those? I, I think that possibly factors in a bit more than form. And I think... One of the things we're going to have to get used to as well is the idea that players might come in and out of the team and it might not be connected to form. That it might just be like this week, this is our first like real three-game week Champions League mm. of the season. And then we've got the Carabao Cup after that. And this like this really feels like the kind of... there's gonna, like We can't play the same... Certainly... I mean, obviously we went for the Carabao Cup, but for the three games this week, there's got to be changes between those games. And we've got to start looking at players a bit more like, for example, like Tommy Asu clearly should play one of those games at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one. I don't know where, <laughs> whether it's left back or whatever, <laughs> but clearly like he's going to have to start one of those games. Probably Trossard's going to have to start one of those games. Probably Inketi is going to have to start at least one of those games. Maybe Fabio Vieira does enough to get one of those games. Like that kind of gentle rotation. And I imagine mm. that, um, I was going to say Wenger then, that <laughs> Arteta um, will have some kind of plan in mind for those three games. And obviously a lot of that will depend on fitness and what kind of condition players come back in as well. So I think he'll probably have like a rough sketch out in his mind of what he wants to do across the next week. Mm. I think it's less international form and more, particularly for this game away, like an away game off the back of an international break is traditionally tricky. We've probably had a bit of a touch that it's gone back to the Sunday. Yeah, you did say Saturday Saturday. earlier there. I just wanted to, you know, make sure nobody was panicking. It is Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, and and that means I can go because when it was Saturday, I couldn't. Um, So, so yeah, like, so you, you... you know, there's an extra day there as well now mm. uh, that that wasn't clear until the Champions League draw was made. So I th- I think there's a lot of factors coming into it. I I don't think it will hurt, but at the same time, did Belgium play Estonia? Was yes. that who Trossard scored against? Yeah. yeah. With all the respect in the world, um, I'm not sure how much a, a, an admittedly really really good goal against Estonia is going to change too much. But I think we'll see Trossard this week and. Um, we probably don't need to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting to think about how he's going to change things up because, you know, like you say, tricky away game at a ground we haven't won at for quite a while. Your inclination is let's go strong. Let's go as strong as we can. But then you've got your first Champions League game in six years there or thereabouts on Wednesday. But that then is followed by a North London derby. And I think part of what, might make or break this season is how well the in inverted commas inverted commas fringe players come in. I don't mean to say Tommy Asu and Trossard are fringe players, but maybe Emil Smith Rowe is a fringe player, and maybe he has to maybe he has to when he gets his chance really produce. You know, to push himself closer to the the sort of squad status that Tommy Asu and Trossard have, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But it's that balance of, well, we're at home. This is a big occasion again. We we need to win this game. How many changes can you make? You know, the key viewer to take into account as well. You know, I think we could see some changes for the, for the midweek game. But there's also Arteta's philosophy, if it's, if I'm going overboard, maybe calling it that, but his belief that the best players have to be able to play every three or four days. That is the reality of modern football. If you're one of the best players, then you play in every game. And I'm curious, I'm I'm not asking you exactly, but I'm just really curious to see how that is going to play out when, on the one hand, he has said he wants a strong squad, a deeper squad. We have to be able to cope with injuries and all the rest of it. But at the same time, his I think his natural philosophy is to not be conservative, but to really lean into the players who are, in his mind, the first choice players. Yeah, and I think he maybe has to let that go a little bit 
this season and and really has to trust that kind of that so-called second layer in in reality all the well every team really but every good team will have a core of three or four who just yeah they do play every game like we saw it with Henri, Perez, Vieira, Sol Campbell, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Fabregas, Van Persie, you name them, you're fit, you play. And we probably know who those players are in our, in our team. So fitness permitting, I imagine that Saka, Erdegaard, Saliba, you know, maybe Ben White, that they'll play, they'll start all three of these games unless there's an injury. Mm. Um, and, and they just will because that's the level of player they are. It's more outside of that and you know talking about players like Smithrow and Kivior I think it's more likely we'll see them in the Carabao Cup and that's where they'll have to that's the foot on the well maybe less so Kivior Smithrow I think that's a massive game for because he's got to get a foot on the ladder somewhere mm. and you can quickly because look at Fabio Vieira look at Eddie Nketiah like this summer frankly I was kind of ready to sell Eddie Nketiah and he's changed things very very quickly Fabio Vieira was an unused sub for the first two games of the season, comes on against Fulham, does really, really well. That gets him the next sub appearance against Manchester United and he gets an assist then. And that's like, mm-hmm. he's got like a, he's got a, a hand on the cliff face, you know. He, it hasn't got him into the team. It doesn't mean he's he's a starter now, but it means like the squad is in a good state that it's so competitive that a good sub appearance, what that means is you get the next sub appearance after that. And if you keep building those up, then maybe you get mm. the start or something like that. Or if Vieira comes off the bench for all three games this week and does well in all of them and he starts the Carabao Cup and he plays well there, like you start to build some momentum. Someone like Smith Rowe, he has to, like, he's, he's stuck in the garage at mm. the moment. Like, he's got to get that engine purring a, a, at least a little bit. And it looks a long way back for him at the moment, but. I mean, to me, I I still quite don't quite understand why we didn't cash in this summer when it, it just seems clear to me that he's not even second choice for any position I can think of. But these things, they can change quickly. Like they've changed for, you know, and it's too early to say definitively that they've changed in perpetuity, but mm. Vieira and Ketia, they've changed things. Even Tomiyasu, the timber injury, changes things for him. That's like, that's more minutes that are available to him now. Yeah. And like he, he, so he's someone who actually his international performance that might, that might be taken into account um, for Japan. But you know, that that's what some of these guys who are on the bench, like, cause, cause this is the thing we need. We, we don't need 35 players. We need like 22 who are of a similar level. That's what Manchester city have got. Manchester city don't have many players that you look at and go, oh, if he started, they'd be notably weaker. Like, they don't have an enormous squad. What mm. they have is everyone, maybe except for Scott Carson, is kind of... But they have another kind of uh, good... Their second-choice goalkeeper is good. Yeah, 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 What's exactly. Ortega, is that it? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, I, I, keep, I always conflate his name with uh, Ter Stegen. Um, is it Zach, Zach Steffen? No, Zach Steffen's the American guy. This is a guy called Steffen Ortega. Okay. Okay. Well, you can see why I can confuse those two anyway. But yeah, but yeah like everyone's on like a similar, that, that's what we want to get to. And there are some guys, you know, who are, who are getting there, I mm. think. And then there are guys like Smith Rowe where it's like, you've got, you've got to get there too, but he's got to get his foot on the ladder somewhere. Yeah, maybe a week of training with nobody around and, you know, the full eye of the manager um, might go some way to, to helping him. And look, I think with Smithrow in particular, like I really, really hope that he can, when he does get his chances, contribute in a, in a positive way. Because, you know, I, I, when I think about him now, it's like, well, what is he, what's he going to do? Where is he going to play? Um but if you can get Smithrow back to what Smithrow was before, you know, he fell out of favor and had that injury and had that surgery, you know, you've got another brilliant option on your hands for a long season. And look, mm-hmm. the thing about 
these kinds of discussions after four games of the season is that the sample size is really way too small and and you know you you just can't really see any patterns of yet so we'll wait and see uh we'll wait and see how that goes i mean just talking about rest and rotation you know the the story that was doing the rounds about Bukayo Saka having a bit of an Achilles problem. That's why he was left out of the starting lineup for England against Scotland the other night. Um, did come on, of course, missed a couple of training sessions for England. It was called load management. He's got an Achilles issue that goes back to, to last year, apparently. Does, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how concerned would you say you are over uh, the words Saka and Achilles in the same sentence? I don't like it at all. I don't care for it one bit. Um, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that that all kinds of players play with injuries. Like the, when Rob Holding did that interview and he talked about Ben White going out to play against Newcastle with a grade two or grade three hamstring strain simply because we didn't have any players left. We had nobody left to go out and play, but but he went out and put his body on the line and was able to play through the pain and, and all the rest of it. Whether that was sensible or not is not the question, but I think we know all the time that players have got aches and strains and niggles and you know all kinds of things that they're dealing with all of the time. 100% fit is like fantasy land in, in many yeah. ways. I mean, I sort of hope it's just that kind of thing when it comes to Saka. But there's also the sort of the back of your mind that goes, he has played a lot and he is only 22 and he starts every game. And we've seen in the past, maybe players who play a lot when they're young get to a point where it sort of catches up to them a bit more quickly than it does some other players. I'm not saying that is going to happen to Bakayo Saka, but I don't think we'd be, uh, it would be unreasonable to have some slight concerns about that. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, we don't want to see those those words in the in the same sentence. Uh, like at the moment, I'm just a bit foggy on it because the information seems to be a bit foggy. Mm. Like what what yeah, like you say, like what kind of level of Achilles issue are we talking about? Are we talking about Bukayo's got an Achilles issue and every other professional footballer goes, "Well, yeah, so have I." Um, yeah. I remember the, uh, the I remember an interview Lord knows why I watched this, but um, I think it was Rio Ferdinand and Robin Van Persie when they were at United. And there was something like they were in the canteen watching like the academy players come in and they were like, you know, and then they watched like the the first team come in from training and everyone's like limping and like, you know, no one's really walking properly and all of that. Mm. And like Ferdinand and Van Persie are about 30 at that point and just going, yeah, like I haven't felt like that's like I haven't not limped into the canteen since I was about nineteen or twenty <laughs> years old. So, like that, you know, there, there is that side to it. Or are we talking like this guy's like having injections before every game? Mm. You know, having his Achilles massage before, after, and during training. Like, what what level are we talking about? I don't, I don't think we. It sounds like we're quite at that level. And England, like we we know England love to and Gareth Southgate loved to play Bukayo Saka, um, you know, every every possible minute, but then so do we. Yeah. That's, that's just the quality of the player. But the second Scotland got a goal back the other night, he was on. And, um, you know, and, and it wasn't a hugely meaningful game. So I'd like to think that that points to the fact that England's decision was actually, this isn't like a big competitive game or anything. We can just afford to to sit him out and like usually they'll justify it with some kind of yeah he's got a little bit of a knock on his ankle or his achilles or something and then you don't hear about it again so i like i'd be lying if i said i was completely unconcerned but at the same time like i, I don't feel like there's an there's enough kind of heft on this story yet yeah and i do also think like i don't want to say the report's not true because i'm not saying that but at the same time i think everyone understands that arsenal fans are very sensitive about this <laughs> and it probably is quite a, a story that can that can generate um sh some interest shall we say a bit like like when um uh outlets do those like really alarm you see every couple of months like a really alarmist like covid story or something and like they know people will click it yes. out of like fear and anxiety and like oh my god i thought this was gone what's going on like yeah a, a lot of even like quite respectable outlets do that because or or stuff about the weather you know like 
like horror thunderstorm coming yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. in September or whatever. And it's, you know, it's just a bit of rain. So it, it might be that. I don't know. Well, hopefully it is just something that is ongoing. And, and the fact that the information is out there doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that it is uh, something serious. Um, you know, and I think people are maybe looking at Saka's start to the season where he hasn't played as well as we know he can and maybe putting two and two together and, and coming up with five in that regard. Maybe it is something that's, you know, hindering his form or his his performances, but it's also fair to say that he's, you know, been part of a team that hasn't quite click, uh, clicked yet so far yeah. this season, you know? and you know what, on that, like, first of all, I have to say, like, I can't pretend I've come away from any of the games so far and thought, he wasn't very good. To, like I thought, he's fine in all in all games. I really did. It's only when I look online and I'm like, oh, did, did people think he was bad? Not pretending I thought he was at his absolute best, but I also remember we had that conversation this time last year because the left side was all firing. Like Xhaka was scoring goals, mm. Martinelli and Jesus were were really combining, and we were like, but what's Saka doing? And then it got to like mid to late September. It's like, oh, there he is. Like, I think one of the things we have to get used to, and one of the reasons he's been so durable to this point, Saka has cruise mode. He has cruise mode and he uses it both in game and in periods of the season very, very intelligently because I think he's just at that level and in that rhythm where he knows that he can go at 80% and still be among the best players on the pitch. And I think he uses that very, very well. And that's a ma- far from being a concern, that for us is a, ma- that's a massive attribute of his in my eyes. Yeah. Well, I hope he, you know, hits top speed at Goodison Park on Sunday, but we'll talk a little more about that game in our preview podcast over on Patreon. Another thing that's uh, not quite happened yet, but looks like it is going to happen is a new contract for Martin Odegaard. There's also talk of a, a new contract for Ben White, which of course makes, uh, you know, a lot of sense. But, you know, Odegaard, a new deal, you know, when you've tied down Saka, you've tied down Saliba, Gabriel, Gabriel Martinelli, you've got these big names uh, absolutely nailed down for the next, or you know, next four years, you know, on, on paper anyway. Of course, we know it doesn't quite work that way. You do have to revisit these situations every couple of years, but it gives you like 24 months of like... I can calm down here a bit, but you know he is obviously up there as one of those players who who needs to be secured simply because of of how good he is, how influential he is. He to me looks like someone who is absolutely flourishing at this football club uh, and has done and has been improving ever since he got here. Even when you take into that uh, into account that loan spell where, you know, he was good, I thought he was good, and I was delighted after that loan spell that we were going to make it uh, we were going to make it permanent. But if you talk about someone like Pepe as the wrong player, the wrong club at the wrong time, the absolute um, converse is true when it comes to Martin Odegaard. Right player, right club, right time. You know, he, I think in an era when we're looking at, you know, the, the transfer fees that we're looking at uh, and have been paid out this summer by clubs, the prices are, are kind of crazy. Odegaard for 30 million or 35 million, whatever, let's not quibble. Let's not quibble between ourselves over 5 million pounds, Tim. But whatever it was, it is possibly one of the biggest bargains of the last five, 10 years in, in, yeah. in Premier League football. Completely, like say it's fifty million for all I care. <laughs> Quite frankly, say it's seventy million. Like, yeah, uh, just just an, an an absolute steal. And I remember kind of writing about it at the time and saying like that this feels like one of those great Arsenal signings where you just get a, uh, I th- you know I think in the states they call it post hype mm. kind of player who clearly like incredibly talented. Everyone saw that very early. Perhaps made that big, big move a bit too early, perhaps lost himself a little bit and then Arsenal pick him up. And it's, it's very much in the tradition of like Bergkamp, Henri, mm-hmm. um, that kind of player. Like that that really feels like a sweet spot for Arsenal when they when they pick up a player like that. And and it's, it's kind of a strange one because of the age profile of the players we've gone for largely. A lot of them have been like potential that maybe all of us haven't seen. 
I can't pretend when we paid 50 million for Ben White that I wasn't, you know, I, I always let a player play before I judge it. But at the time I kind of thought, mm. okay. And when we bought Ramsdale and we put the money down for that, I was a bit like, really? Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. And, and now I don't doubt either of those, but th- this was kind of a, a, and then, you, you know, you get someone like Gabriel Jesus and it's like, well, clearly we all know what exactly what he's about. But with someone like Erdegaard, it's, it's that kind of, yeah, like Real Madrid bought him at the age of 15. Like there's a reason for that. Mm. And it had some good loan spells as well, like at Sociedad and, and I believe he was at Heerenveen as well mm. in Netherlands when he was a bit younger. So like you knew the talent was there. So it's just a case of can Arsenal get that talent out of him? And I, actually I thought that was a pretty safe bet because it's like he's going to play all the time and... And and then there's all these this other confluence of factors. I think being the captain, being the captain of a team that's roughly his age as well at the same time, like I, I think that's kind of perfect for him. And one of the reasons, and again, I remember writing this when it was clear Lacazette was leaving about who the next captain would be. And I said I hoped it would be Erdegaard, not necessarily because I saw him as a, an amazing leader, although I think he is a good leader. It, it was because I just thought, in his first season and a half, I thought there's more in this player. And I, I feel like if we give him that responsibility, we'll start to see it yeah. a bit more. And I, I really, I, it might be incidental, might have happened without, I, I suspect it probably would have happened even without the captain's armband. But it, it, it reminded me a bit of when we made Fabregas captain, where you kind of go, yeah, he's probably just about the leader of the team, but actually you give it to him for other reasons as well because it's like there's probably another level to come in this player and if we give him that responsibility yeah. I I slash we believe that he'll he'll ascend to that level and you you have a level of trust in in a, in giving it to a young player I I was a bit too young to know but I imagine it was the same calculation with Tony Adams I'm sure George George Graham thought mm, maybe in an ideal world I wouldn't give it to him at 21, but I reckon if I give it to him at 21, mm. he'll meet that level very very quickly, and it'll improve his overall game. And I think sometimes you get a player in that sweet spot, and we haven't had that for a long time because we bungled our captains, and largely because the squad hasn't been built very well. There haven't been very many leaders. A lot of them have been in departure lounge, but this was the first time since Fabregas, I think, where we've appointed a captain and you've just gone, yeah, I see this guy wearing the captain's armband for at least the next four years and for precisely nobody to talk about it, which is what you want. Of course, I I think there's something to that. I I do think that Mikel Arteta, if not necessarily sees some of himself in Martin Odegaard, I think he, he sees probably similarities in, in, in how they view the game and how they view the profession of football, right? They're obviously different players, but of course Arteta started as a, an attacking midfielder and, and played a lot further forward in the early part of his career before he came to Arsenal. So um, maybe there's something that Arteta recognised in him. But what I like about Odegaard and the fact that he has taken on the captaincy, taken on the responsibility, you know, he... We've had this discussion, right? People will say, well, you want a proper captain like Tony Adams. And and the reality is Tony Adams' don't come along. They just don't come along. The reason Tony Adams stands out the way he does is because he's sort of like not a once in a generation character, but a once in four or five or six generations kind of character. Yeah. And and who was kind of at the same time of his of his time, if that makes sense. He was part of the era in which he belonged, which of course he was, but a part of the football uh, culture that existed at that time. He was perfect for that. But I think what's so interesting about Odegaard, when you look at him as captain, is well, you know, he leads by example. He leads by example on the pitch. He is the manager's tactical eyes. Uh, conduit. He's a conduit for what happens tactically on the pitch, as we've seen examples. Was it the Chelsea game last season where uh, Odegaard very early on just sort of signaled to the to the bench uh, what way Chelsea were set up, and then Arsenal mm. shifted and and all that kind of stuff. But maybe this is something you haven't noticed as much because you're in the ground for a lot of the games. When they do that little pre-game huddle that they do. And the players get around and, you know, you expect the captain to be doing the talking in that situation. And it's really not him a lot of the time. 
it's Zinchenko sometimes, it's Gabriel Jesus sometimes, it's, you know, other players are, are uh, you know, standing up and being leaders as you would like, but Odegaard is not sort of like, oh, right, I'm the captain, I have to do this. Uh, you know, I, I feel threatened by, um, you know, other players who might have a bit of profile or might have something to say for themselves. There's none of that. I like I like that about him, that there's a confidence to his leadership that is apparent both in his performances and the way he, he conducts himself. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, it's been said a million times before, but the best teams have loads of captains, really. Like, it's it's kind of funny that, I, I think it's kind of funny that Vieira is considered like a legendary Arsenal captain. And look, I'm, I'm not going to have an argument with anyone about that. <laughs> I've got better things to do. I, I'm not convinced he was an amazing captain in his own right. I think when you captain a team that wins things, like you, you'll, you'll be considered that way. I'm not saying he was bad at all, but I kind of think a, a team with Henri, Sol Campbell, Jens Lehmann, Gilberto, Bergkamp, like how much captaining does that team really need? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it reminds me of, do you remember in, um, uh, in LA where I got that first question for Gilberto and I asked him about, I was like, how did you go from playing with Vieira to playing with Fabregas, who's like a very different player? Mm. And his first line was like, it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> he just said, it was easy, eh? Yeah? Yeah. It was just it's like... Good players. Exactly. Like, like look with at the names players. you've just said to me. Yeah. Like, it was, my job was pretty easy. And it's it's kind of a bit like that. And and clearly, you look at this team, like Gabriel Jesus is, is clearly one of the leaders of this team. Zinchenko's clearly one of the leaders. I'd say in a... In a Maybe in that less demonstrative Erdegaard style way, Ben White is one of the leaders in this team as well. And and Gabrielle's probably that more demonstrative. Like mm. I look around and I kind of see it pretty much everywhere. Um, and that's what you need really. And what you were talking about there with the with the kind of team talk. I know the women do something very something very similar, like Kim Little's the captain because she's Kim Little, she's one of the best players of all time and has been at the club forever and everyone just adores her. But she's she's a very quiet and not very demo- she's your lead by example. Mm. When they do the huddle, it's Leah Williamson that does the team talk because that's more suited to her. She's more of like a you know, a fist pumper, an orator. And so Kim leaves that bit to Leah because that makes sense. And that's that's what you want. You need like devolution of responsibilities. It's the, I think there's a Latin phrase for it, primus inter pares, uh, first among equals. And right. de- delegation is all about, is, is a big, big part of leadership. So yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, it, it's one of those things that we, like the Arsenal captaincy, has not really been a conversation ever since Erdogan took the armband. And that's, yeah. that's what you want from your, like a captain's like the referee, right? If you don't talk about him, it's probably doing a good job. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is when you, now that you mention it, you know, there were, there were people who were perhaps skeptical of that. And you don't really hear people um, talk about that in any way. Uh, maybe that's because, you know, I don't see anything that's on Twitter anymore because uh, of the way he's <laughs> fucked it up. But, you know, maybe these conversations are happening outside my orbit. We have a couple of questions about Champions League and then we'll have a couple of questions about uh, the women's side of things. Uh, Wise Marklar says, I've been listening to Tim's, uh, reading Tim's columns for years and listening to uh, here and Arsenal Vision. Just wondering how his Champions League experience will differ this time around compared to other years. Um, and he asked, well, what are some of the best group stage memories? But of course, um, uh, that's the Barcelona game. Everybody answers that <laughs> question with the same fucking thing, right? But, uh, you know, it's been gone and it was part of our lives for a long time. And I'm not saying we took it for granted, but it was just taken as read that Arsenal were going to be in the Champions League season after season after season, because that is what Arsene Wenger delivered until such time as as he didn't. How do you view the competition now? Do you are you looking forward to this? You know more than, with all due respect to the Europa League group stages, it's kind of hard to get up for those games. Maybe the only slightly interesting thing was like, oh, which kind of fringe player is going to play? And oh, Marquinhos has scored a goal. Good for him, and he's crying. Good for him. Um, but <laughs> Champions League is a different level, right? So, are you looking forward to being back in it? Yeah, absolutely. I think on Wednesday night, the first time that answer, like. I don't think people will be dribbling in um, five minutes. I, I think everyone's going to be there when that anthem plays. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, for me, my um, experience of it will differ slightly because I, I, I might do one of the away games, whereas because uh, the last time we were in the Champions League, I wasn't a parent. So I was, <laughs> I was at all the away games, um, whereas now it's like, mm, maybe I'll do one. Um, and, and of course, on the... 
I know we'll come on to this in a bit, but like there does seem to be this weird deal where the men and women can't seem to be in it at the same time. So I have been doing like women's Champions League games for the last couple of years. And look, the Europa League group games, they're tough. They just are. They're tough. I always used to joke with, um, you know, with the guys on on AVP and our WhatsApp group. They'll be like, because I think they start serving beer again on 30 minutes into a game. And uh, everyone would put bets on at what time I'd be in the concourse watching on the TV. And I, I rarely, it was rarely later than like the 36th, 37th minute. You know, I'd be kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go now. There's no queue. I can just watch the last couple of minutes. Like, I'm not going to be doing that on Wednesday night. I can mm. tell you that for sure. So clearly, like, you know, there was a flip side in the, in the Europa League. Quite often the expectation was that we'd go quite far. And, you know, maybe at least a semi-final or a final or something like that. What is your expectation for Arsenal in the Champions League this season? Do you have one or do you need to see how Mm. it plays out a bit? You know, we know Arteta's record in Europe has been a little bit hit and miss, but based on the the other teams, you know, the the playing field across Europe, if you like, you know, what is uh, your expectation of what this Arsenal team can do? Yeah, quarterfinal, I think, because I think we should very much aim to win this group. And if you win, look, look, if if we get really unlucky in the round of 16 draw, that can kind of happen. But, I, you know, I wouldn't grumble too much if we went out at the quarterfinal stage. Again, kind of depending on the opposition and the circumstances and all of that. But mm. for a first season back in, quarterfinal, like, because that's when it really starts to get big as well. Mm. And like even a quarterfinal Champions League night, because... Whoever you play in the quarterfinal, that's going to be a tough, close game most of the time. Like, you don't get many rollover quarterfinal ties. So that feels like the kind of, you know, you get the home tie and it's like, okay, this is a too late. Like, we need to make the difference as fans and everyone really gets up for it. And I'd love at least one of those nights back um, this season. And, of course, with the expectation that we go back there next season and then next season maybe that shifts Mm. maybe it's quarterfinal this year semi-final next maybe you know again a lot of it's draw dependent and things like that but I I really think quarterfinal feels about right as a minimum yeah well we'll see like you say the cup football and knockout football um can take you in in weird places. Um, Jmart91 says saw this going around on reddit do you both remember who scored our last Champions League goal um, that would have been the five-one defeat at home to Bayern. Um, was it Sanchez? No, it was Sanchez scored in the five-one defeat away uh, in Munich. Was it Koscielny? No, nope. did he score? No, no, he's uh, no longer. I was going to say no longer with us. <laughs> he's no longer. <laughs> he's no longer a professional player. No, Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I've erased a lot of that 5-1 uh, yeah, from my I mean, memories. So. They're not good memories. None no. of those are good, are good memories. Uh, but Theo Walcott put us ahead that night to to uh, to close the gap, and then Koscielny got sent off, and yeah, it all went a bit uh, tits up. Uh, okay, Koscielny got sent off. That, that may have been somewhere in the grey matter why I mentioned him as a potential goal scorer. Um, it is transfer deadline day as we're speaking. I will put this podcast out today uh, for people uh, just because there's been a dearth of stuff to listen to. So we'll get this out for you as early as we can. But Arsenal women are about to make a, a signing. Yeah, that's right. Um, we were able to break this this morning. So we're five for five um, on, on Arsenal's transfers this summer. Um, very, very strange. As of eight, we're recording. It's nearly 5 p.m. at the moment. Like, as of 8am this morning, I knew absolutely nothing about anything. And then by nine, well, just before 10 o'clock, we were able to break that Arsenal are about to sign uh, Australian midfielder Kyra Cooney-Cross. And this is it's a really exciting signing. So first of all, I think because of the, the early elimination from the Champions League and having no Champions League group stage, and it's, it's all been um, a little bit grim over the last few days and that lift for the fan base was needed in its own right. This is also a position where Arsenal have needed a player for ages. So she's a defensive midfielder. She was one of the best performers at the World Cup. Um, And she plays in Sweden, which probably gave Arsenal a little bit of an edge, um, given that they have a Swedish manager and Swedish players and Australian players as well. Mm -hmm. So 
This one is really interesting because essentially, um, because of the way the Swedish season runs, Kyra Cooney's crosses contract. Man, that was difficult to say. Kyra Cooney crosses contract (laughs) expires in December. So she's available on a free in January. And essentially Chelsea were really interested. Manchester United were really interested, but they were, quoted quite a high price because she played so well at the World Cup. And I think both those teams thought, you know what, we'll take a rain check till January. And Arsenal have, um, this uh, reminiscent of the Thomas Party signing on the men's side, Arsenal have kind of barged in on the final day, mm. not said in it like, this was really quiet. I knew nothing about this whatsoever. This was mega quiet. And then on the last day, basically just put the money down and said, yep, yeah, we'll have a um, position of need in the squad um, and yeah, like I said, and, and she's 21 as well. So like there's some succession planning there because she plays the same position as Leo Valti, who's an amazing player, but we've had that almost like that Harry Kane syndrome with her where you can't get a backup for Leo Valti because Leo Valti is like the best version of that player more mm. or less. So it's, it's a really, really big signing. And it, it was, yeah, it was in a position of weakness in the squad and I, the the weird thing is, I saw her at the game um, that Arsenal played against Linchirping last week in the stands. Mm. I thought nothing of it because she plays in Sweden, and uh, two of sure. her Australian international teammates play for Arsenal. So I just thought she's probably here just to see them because it's a short train journey. But evidently, um, conversations must have been had mm. uh, over those days. So yeah, that that looks like it will get done before the midnight deadline. So just looking ahead to the the season for Arsenal women, you know, obviously what happened last weekend was really disappointing. And of course, questions will be asked uh, about the elimination from the Champions League, the lack of Champions League football. Uh, you know, it's painful, I think, for, for the club, for the players, for the fans, uh, for the manager, I'm sure. Does that then change the the expectation or the demands for the season ahead? Because, you know, you you have written and spoken quite a lot about the schedule that women's players are subjected to. Uh, the WSL season kicks off but uh, soon, but before that, there's an international break. The, the Arsenal qualifiers came just a few weeks after the World Cup and players are involved in that. And, you know, the injury issues that have uh, in some way been sustained because of, you know, the schedule perhaps. Mm-hmm. But there are players, big players coming back. Uh, Viv is back in training. Beth Mead is back. Um, new signings have been made. There is no European football. Is there real expectation slash pressure slash demand now for Arsenal to to really perform well in, in the league? Yeah, there has to be. And to an extent, there always is. It's sure. Arsenal. I've made this comparison a million times. It's like Man U in the men's game. It's like if you haven't at least challenged very, very well for the title, you've kind of failed. That's just the way it is and that's the way it should be. But yeah, clearly not being in the Champions League. First of all, it, it creates like an additional pressure as much as, I mean, to give you a bit of an insight, Alessia Russo started the World Cup final in Sydney 17 days later, she is playing a Champions League qualifier for Arsenal on a plastic pitch in Sweden. Mm. That kind of illustrates the madness. There is literally no reason those qualifiers couldn't have happened a week later. They should be happening this week. For some reason, they put them when they did. But And so like there, there are definite caveats. And this is the third consecutive season a WSL team has fallen foul of the qualifiers. So they're hard. They're re- they are really hard. It's not a one-off. Um, however, being out, not only, you know, does it like, because it takes a little bit of excitement away from the season, but not only that, it gives Arsenal a competitive advantage over Chelsea. Now, Arsenal is still going to play six games because one of the, what's essentially a punishment is if you're in the Champions League, you get a bye through the Conti Cup group stages, which Arsenal no longer get. So now, they're going to play like the women's equivalent of the Carabao Cup and they're going to play like Southampton and Bristol City and, you know, rubbish teams like Spurs. 
and it's and that's going to be like a constant reminder mm. of what we've lost but at the same time we will not play a, a first choice 11 um in those games at all so and also what will happen as well as last season arsenal got to the semi-final which was very exciting but it meant they were playing every three days for about two and a half months it's not going to happen this year. Mm. The end of the season is looking very clear. So clearly Arsenal have a competitive advantage over Chelsea by not being in the Champions League group stage and they have to use it. This is also the third season with the manager. This is entirely his squad. Now every single player in this squad has either been bought by him or signed a contract under him. So mm. it's his squad, it's his players. He's pretty much sold everyone he doesn't want. And and I'm not saying anything that Arsenal themselves and the players themselves don't know. So there's there's all of that in there, as well as the fact that Arsenal haven't won the league since 2019. As much as they're competing with a juggernaut like Chelsea, that's still too long. That's still not good enough for a team like Arsenal. So, yep, there's, there's pressure and expectation. But what you were talking about there with the injuries, I asked Jonas about this. Last week in Sweden, he was talking about having like the reverse effect where last season it was like every month it was like, oh my God, someone else has gone. Mm. Whereas now we're going to get it in reverse. So Beth Mead is back. back in full training. Viv is back in full training. Then in the new year sort of time, you'll get Leo Williamson. You'll get So he was talking about how we'll get the reverse effect. And every couple of months one of those players is going to come back on the pitch and everyone's going to be really happy. And he was talking about harnessing that as well. So I, I definitely the expectation. I don't think you can say ever really like you have to win the league and that's it. But like if they lose it on goal difference or by Yeah, you have to compete though. Like, you have to, I think that's the thing. Yeah, you, you, you have to seriously compete. compete. That yeah. has to be the expectation and in the other two domestic trophies as well. Well, it looks like it's going to be an exciting season ahead. Um, hopefully for the men and the women. Um, we better leave it there for now though. Tim, thank you very much. My pleasure as always. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Stillmanator, at Stillmanator. And of course, bringing you the best coverage there is about Arsenal women over on Arsblog News. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Right. As I said at the start, I completely forgot to give you the winners of the uh, the competition for Mikel Arteta's book, written by Charles Watts. He was on talking about it. It's called Revolution, The Rise of Arteta's Arsenal. And congratulations to Charles for uh, getting into the Sunday Times top 10 bestsellers. Well done, that man. Uh, the random number generator has pulled out a couple of names, and they are Nicholas Pastolas and Cahal Holly. So well done to you guys. I will be in touch via email. We'll get your address. We'll get the books sent out to you. Signed by Charles as well. If you missed out on the competition, go get the book from your local independent bookstore and they will be more than happy to order that book in for you if they don't have it in stock. It'll only take a couple of days. Support local business. They pay their staff. They pay their taxes. What more could you want? So there you go. Right. I'm going to leave it there for now. Because, well, basically, I've said everything I need to say 
for today. You can join us on Patreon tomorrow. We will have an Everton preview podcast. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will talk about whatever Mikel Arteta has talked about in his press conference, look ahead to the game, talk about team selection, what might happen, what might not happen, and all the rest of it. If you're not already a member, you can sign up for about £5 a month, $6 a month, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. It's a packed afternoon here at the Sky Sports desk. But first today, an exclusive interview. After starting his 428th consecutive game of the season, we're joined in studio by Bakayo Saka's Achilles. Achilles, how are you feeling? Ah! 